0: Well, let's stand this morning for the reading of the words. We are in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, 14. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the sexual immorality, the impurities, the lust, the evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have been taken off your old self and its practices. And you have been put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile, no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as god's chosen people holy dearly loved clothe yourself with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for already what you're doing this morning in our hearts. We thank you for the name of Jesus. But more than a name, we get to know the nature. We get to know the person of Jesus. Lord, through your Holy Spirit that resides inside of us because of the cross, We are now made new. God, we want to make space for the new this morning. And so God, if there is any hindrances in the room or hindrances over us right now, we break them off in Jesus name. We come against the enemy, the Satan. We come against the devices, the fleshly nature inside of each and every one of us. And God, we pray for the mind of Christ this morning. Lord, would you open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to what you have to say today. Not just my words, but Lord, would you move through them to anoint and refresh and encourage to cut away where things need cuts, to grow where things need to grow. God, we thank you for this space. Lord, teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Please be seated. So Rach was really upset. It was a night like any other. We were just hanging out, um, just enjoying chatting about life. And then we started to talk about self-reflection, about, hey, how can we grow? How can we do things? And this is my favorite subject. And so I love to plan goals if you're anything like me, you're someone who's driven by goals, tasks and orientation, performance management stuff. And so Rach started to open up and this was a wonderful key for me to start giving my two cents about how things could grow, change and shift. And any husband in the room knows that's not a good idea. And so I discovered in a very quickly as she became very deeply upset, trying to pull back my words. I didn't quite mean it like that. That's not what I'm trying to say trying to catch those words the damage was done and you would think you would think that after one time I would learn (laughs) and still not learning and still when those moments come around there is this moment where I just want to challenge where I want to encourage and there's something inside of me that just wants to do that a good thing overextended but why do what needs what is inside of me that drives me to change others to be in a damaging way. What inside of me causes that good thing to be overextended and cause damage more than harm? We all have actions in our lives that we're unaware of how they're received by other people. We all have these actions. Maybe for you, uh, you have the need of always directing things always deciding how things are done, not realizing you're a control freak stopping the growth of others. Maybe you love telling stories, like you're a really good storyteller or you're just this information well, but you don't realize that all you ever do is talk about what you want to talk about. In fact, you dominate the conversation. In fact, people are afraid to talk with you because that's all you do. Maybe you have a great eye. Maybe you've been told, man, you have a really good perspective. You have a really good vision for things. And maybe what you've not realized is that you've taken that truth. And now that's all you see. Your truth, your vision, and you critique everyone else's vision. Welcome to church. We all in this space have things that we do that we do not realize how they impact other people. Saint Teresa of Avail said this, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. If we want to be vessels of love, the journey of self-awareness is vital. So you've been with us in a series, Um, we are talking about belonging. We've been talking about the issue that we face in uh, in our world, that loneliness is a pandemic. Um, We talk about the issues of being more connected than ever, yet feeling more lonely. As a follower of Jesus, salvation not only meant rightness with God, but it also meant rightness with one another. But the desire for shalom, peace, means wholeness, Mean that we are reconciled with God, but there is wholeness, heaven on earth to be invaded in this world. That when the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, the very first action of the Spirit was to unify the tongue. What had once been divided by the Tower of Babel had now been unified by the Holy Spirit. And we see the outworkings in Acts 2. The very first uh, miracles was unity. This deep, deep care for one another was being poured out. It's like God has a passion for unity. It's like there's a triune God, three in one, that desires for all of us to live in unity. It's like Jesus thinks unity is the most important thing, that it was the final night before he went to go to the cross the next day. He prayed this prayer, Father, would they be like us? I in you and you in me, would we be close? Jesus has a desire for us. And so we see this Acts Church birth. They were devoted to practice, to fellowship, to teachings, to the breaking of bread, to giving to one another. They had practice over preference. That was our first message in the series. Practice over preference preference. And we looked at various different practices over preference. The practice of bearing one another's burdens over just my preference. We looked at when Joe preached about stop mind reading and start and stop assuming what people think and actually take time to gain understanding with another person. Stop assuming and take up the practice of getting to know someone of getting clarity, of actually understanding that person. Kind of a little message with uh, Sherilyn. She talked about the practice of serving, which is really important in belonging. And so today, I want to talk about the practice of self-awareness. In this, when you come into a community, many of you who are new would have experienced this. You got super excited You're like, this is an amazing space. It sounds really cool, looks really cool. It feels like home, but yet it's really different. You get to know some people and suddenly, very quickly, you become disillusioned. You're welcome. And so we come across the things that we once enjoyed now don't seem to fill us with the same buzz. Um, The experiential kind of Holy Spirit moments feel a bit naff now. That's an English word, naff, Um, not so good. That's a word. Can we say naff together? Naf, Yeah, use it in your sentence. That's pretty naff. Um, And so it kind of falls dead. And so we have an option. Do we run away to another church community or do we break through? And so in that process of breakthrough, we need to awaken. We need to awaken. And I believe that the practice of self-awareness is one of those vital practices. If we want to awaken, because being rooted is part of spiritual formation. Being rooted in a place is where we get shaped, where we get transformed. If we just keep running from place to place to place, we never let iron sharpen iron. We never truly grow. And so God's desire for us in an imperfect community, remember the 12, you had Judas who... In his own right, was you know trying to deal with him. But then you had um, you had Peter, who was pretty opinionated. You had Matthew, the tax collector, and you had Simon the Zealot, who was a terrorist towards Roman organizations. And again, we talk about this a lot. Imagine coffee Monday morning. Like it wouldn't be the most friendly conversations at first. If any of you have seen the Chosen, you would have seen how they treated Matthew. He would have been different. To say that we should all look the same, think the same is not Christian belief. It is coming together in our individuality under the banner of Jesus saying, I want to die to myself to follow the way of Jesus so that I can awaken and be called who I am called to be. Amen? A little quieter, but I'll take it. And so a survey was done asking people if they were self-aware. Now, Hands raised. Yeah. Hands raised. Do you believe that you're a self aware person? Just be bold. It's okay if you believe you're a self aware person. I like this kind of like half stuff going on. That's great. So the, the survey was done. Uh, thousands of people, right? 95% of people believed they were self aware. 95% of people. So they ran through the questions to test if they were self aware. Guess how many were actually self aware? 15%. So we actually, which is hilarious, we think we're more aware than we actually are aware. So if you think, and and I thought I was pretty self-aware, but reality is I'm not. So let's be honest, let's just set the blanket in the room. We're all in the other 85%. None of us are aware. Let's just put ourselves here today. But why does that happen? Well, first off, just a couple of points here. I think we have a lack of understanding. See, self-awareness is holistic. To give you a definition of what do I mean by self-awareness is this. Self-awareness is the ability to see ourselves clearly. To understand who we are. To understand your feelings, your emotions. To understand your purpose, your design, your identity. But also, and this is the part I think that messes us up. How others see us. So to truly know how we're received by another person. And how we fit into the world. You all have blind spots. You all can't see how you're being received. You all have hidden spots. You're actually hiding who you are from one another. And also you have unknown spots. There's you don't know your your problems, your brokenness, and no one else does. And so we're a mishmash of brokenness. And the big part is found in knowing one another. But the problem is we're just too busy to slow down and actually take time to actually become self-aware because of life's fast pace, moving to actually be in deep relationship, to actually share each other's brokenness, to actually take time to reflect on who we are. We're so hurried we don't have time, so we have lack of understanding. Second one is lack of importance. Many people in the room just don't want to get to know themselves. They don't like themselves. They have stuff that they know beneath the surface, and they're just like, I don't want to deal with that. I would rather just self-medicate, distract myself with a good Netflix series. I would rather just go out, fill myself with goals, ambitions, keep driving forward, don't look back. I would rather not look beneath the surface. And that's a reality for many, many people. It just feels too dark, too much. I don't like who I am. Other people have said I'm not a good person. Why should I even bother? Another lack of importance, well done to the Christian community, is we associate self-discovery with pride. Growing up in my Christian community, and I'm sure with yours as well, we didn't talk about ourselves at all. It's just, well, just confess the truth. Just confess scripture over your problem situation. Just pray harder. Read your Bible. Just cover it with truth. And so we negated the importance of what God has birthed inside of you. We heard this phrase, rid yourself of yourself, Right? More of him and less of me, which is a great principle, but he doesn't mean get rid of yourself because you are uniquely designed. He has uniquely created you for such a time as this. Amen. And he doesn't want to diminish that. He wants to pull out because if God is eternal, if God is infinite, there is infinite possibilities of who he is and we get to express that. And so we have that problem. But the ancient fathers, just two quotes here, didn't believe that not self-discovery. They believed in discovery. Augustine, one of the great fathers of the faith. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And this amazing prayer, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. That beautiful paradox. May I know God May I know me, may I know me that I may know God. John Calvin, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self and no deep knowing of self without deep knowing of God. Those are beautiful principles. Third, we have a lack of vision for self. Again, we are in a culture of hurry, but we're also in a culture of being told who you're meant to be. Or the other option, follow your truth, which is increasing anxiety and depression. We're saying to people, create your own truth, your own morality, your own sexual identity. In fact, just create a universe where you're center. Can I tell you today, you're not a good God. In fact, you make a pretty crappy God. You can't hold the universe together. And so anxiety and depression is filling our culture because we're avoidance of God and trying to put us at the center, and it doesn't work. This amazing quote from Pete Scazzera says this, The vast majority of us go to our graves not knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life, or at least someone else's expectations for us. This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately others. How are we doing this morning? Do we resonate with this this morning? There is something inside of us that has this issue. The self is complicated. Turn to your neighbor. You are complicated. Enjoy it while you say it. I know for some of you, you're like, Johnny, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what you just told me to do. We're complicated, right? I can see you all. Don't worry. You are a family of eyes. You have a playful self. You have a cautious self. You have a pleasing self. You have a competitive self. You compartmentalize yourself. You try to hide who you are, cutting out what you don't like. You're like a child who's broken a piece of of a toy or something, trying to hide it from your parents, trying to hide the brokenness of who you are. We all try to hide who we are. We wonder why in this age of Christian leaders who walk away from the Christian life, Christian leaders who have moral failures, marriages of couples that we thought, they are what I want to be. They live this amazing life. They have all the money, all the things of this world. They have all the wisdom. They just look attractive. They're amazing, yet they break apart. Why does that happen? Because they do not find the beauty and the brokenness in who they are. They try to live the shallow life of just trying to keep myself at center, avoid, compartmentalize, cut out the other stuff in my life and just try and live the highlight reel of Instagram reels. They just try and live the perfect life and never deal with their stuff. Or our parents, they didn't know their own brokenness. Parents in the room, we tried our best, right? Like we try, and we only when we come to, maybe I've heard this, but when we come to our grandkids do we suddenly realize what we're meant to do. And so we enjoy those years more. But the reality is, is that we have problems. In fact, closer to home, I bet you have questions in your mind, will I always be like this? Will I always have this nagging addiction? Will I always keep failing in this area? Will I always have these dark thoughts? Will I always have this fear-ridden life? Will this always be me? This is the reality that all of us face. And so just one more component that I believe is very central. You have a battle of a true and false self. The false self is not doctrinal in Scripture, but it is a principle that we see throughout Scripture. From the beginning of Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were birthed, this new existence of co-laboring, of life being poured out, of freedom of love to be experienced, only to awaken a false self inside Adam and Eve that said, I trust my own comfort over God, your truest desires for me. In fact, I think that I can do better. I think that I can live this life better. In fact, if you just give me the knowledge, I want to do it apart from you. And so the true, sorry, the false self comes up. We see it played out in Moses before he goes into the promised land. He has the opportunity to go into promised land. He takes his own desires and strikes the rock instead of speaking to a rock. In principle, I don't trust your methods, God. I want to do it my way. I've seen it work before. I'm going to do it because it's my comfort, my desires. I've got this. Or we see in David with Bathsheba, as he looked across his kingdom and he saw a woman, he saw it was good and he took it. Language from the Garden of Eden being replayed out again. My desire, my wants, I know what's best for me, my self-concern. What we see in Peter's life, when Peter has this amazing revelation of who Jesus is, and he's like, you're going to be the church. This is what I'm going to, you're going to build yourself upon me. You're, I'm going to be the rock. You're going to be the church. And we're going to do this amazing thing. And Peter's like, yes, I've got a vision for this Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. No way. That's not part of my vision plan. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The true self and the false self completely at play. Paul, in his words, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I wish I did do. This confliction, does anyone amen to that? I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. And man, I wish I did what I should be doing so Paul, in this passage that we just read together, has this principle of self. He talks about the false self is driven by self-concern. If you look over me in Colossians, read back through this in verse 5 to 8, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the passion, the evil desire, the covetousness, which is idolatry. The theme of sexual sin that Paul brings out is amazing. Sin outside of marriage is, what can I get? No strings attached, no commitments. I want to get my fill at no cost. I want to get the most deepest intimacy possible as quickly as possible Why Tinder exists, in 30 minutes you can get a hookup with someone, be as intimate as you want to be, and then no strings attached, leave them. And so Paul is bringing out this principle. It's not just for us today, but back then it was happening all the time, if not even more. This culture that says... If you're the center of the universe, you get to decide what's virtuous, get your gratification, get it now. I want my desire as quickly as possible, my way, my reality. And when we see this line, and the wrath of God will come, that's true. It's not an angry God punishment method. No, he's angry that love is turning inward. That when love becomes destructive, it becomes inward. We lose our humanity. We don't see this America being successful, right? We're not suddenly going up to the right because we're all just getting what we want. Amen? Like, that's not true freedom. True freedom is to understand that I can have all things and say, but I deny those things for the better. And so we need to live that life understanding that God's wrath comes for love that is not true to what he is. His anger, he is a just God and he doesn't want that kind of existence happening. And so we are meaning makers. We make meaning. We are God-like. What our dreams and desires, we make them into fruition. They become physical things and they destroy. In fact, they create loneliness I would argue that loneliness is a direct representation of because we're following my desire, my wants, we become more lonely. Because you can't coexist with someone who just wants their desires, right? For some people I've seen marriages over and over again, it's my desire, my wants, and it just doesn't work. When both of them decide, you know, it's not working out, we fell out of love, What we're saying is their desires didn't marry my desires. We're saying that that actually just, it wasn't working for me. And so we see the divorce rate increasing more and more and more because this false self is driving by self-concern. Carries on in verse 8. But now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander. He's building this case of anger. It turns to wrath, wrath. It turns to malice and it turns to slander and eventually it just turns to obscene curses towards another person. That if you just let your false self reign, you tear down another person. You just break them down because that's what the result is. When the false self reigns with self-concern, it just to cause destruction. So what is what is the answer to all of this? What do we Do about this. And so we're in Colossians because this is not foreign to them either. Colossians is a pagan culture under pressure. Worship this God. Caesar is Lord. But also, you had the religious culture as well. Do good things. Be good and you will please God. All these pressures coming upon identity of what does it mean to transform? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Can you imagine the early days? Like, they didn't have this canonized they didn't have this together they didn't have bible colleges they didn't have people spending full time vocation oftenly trying to work this out like can you imagine what bible studies were like they didn't have 2000 years worth of information of people pouring their lives out into verses and passages giving information if you feel like you're a disqualified christian these guys were just really like nothing right like they were just trying to get it together But they had one another. They had community. And so just to give some context for our passage, Paul writes a letter. So he hears of Colossae. He hears of this church. And he says, you know what? I'm going to write them a letter. I'm going to write them a letter to the condition. And he doesn't write them a list of do better, like try harder, church. Can you imagine if he wrote that letter? He doesn't give a list of do's and don'ts. Try harder, like motivation. Instead, he tells a story. He tells a story, the gospel story. And this message, he says, trust this story. Be true to this story. Live into this story. Because how many of you know the story that you live into is the story that you live out? The story that you live into is the story you live out. Just to hop into a couple of passages here. In First Corinthians is it 19 to 20, here it says, For in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That Jesus in all, this story, that this amazing Jesus at the foundations of the earth when he spoke, when God spoke the word, Jesus, when the life of him came, creation was birthed. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were at the beginning of creation, and the word was in all things. And so he starts there with the story of this amazing Jesus, what was the beginning of all time. But then he carries on in chapter two. He says, For in him. The whole fullness of deity dwelled bodily and you have been filled with him, who is the head and the ruler of authority, carrying on that language. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body and the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You have been buried with him in baptism. We had baptism uh, a couple of months ago, and it is the most beautiful picture of what has happened because of Jesus Now we, partnered with him, have now died with him. And this beautiful vision of being baptized, of being sunk in. Think about the story of the Red Sea with uh, Moses, where they parted the Red Sea, the salvation story that God made a way where there was no way. He parted the sea, and the family of Israel moved through. Millions of people moved through the Red Sea onto the other side, and the Red Sea closed, never to be opened up again. Because death is the reality that we need. If there was anything else that happened, if we, didn't, uh, if we partially died or we were working out dying to ourselves, we would always come back to temptations. Can I tell you a positional truth today? You are dead. You're welcome. You died. Now, there's a reality that you might not feel like that, and we're going to get to that later on. But can I positionally tell you today, because you have accepted Jesus into your life, because of that decision, you died. The Spirit took hold of your heart, and you are positionally dead. And it gets better. And so as we carry on the story, because of that, who raised him from the dead, you were dead in your trespasses. Uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses by counselling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. He set them aside, nailing them to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, all your sins, all yourself is gone. You are made new. You are righteous. Shame cannot hold you anymore. Someone needs to hear that today. Shame cannot hold you anymore. Your old self is dead. But it's not just a death. There is a marriage that happens. Revelation 19, 7, it ends with this. Let us rejoice and exult and give the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Can I tell you, the church is victorious. God is coming for a fine linen, bright and pure bride. That's a victorious church. That's not a beaten and battered bruise. So can we get out of ourselves today that I'm just escaping to a place No, he's wanting to bring the kingdom of God here and now. That he is resurrecting his bride to be fine linen, bright and pure. Not because of our own works, but because he married us. With all our brokenness, with all us. He died with us and we are resurrected brand new. Paul starts with a story of identity. We are forever united with him. And so where are we currently we are currently hidden in Christ. I love uh, Kara's image of prayer that God wants to hug you. In fact, can I take it a little further? He wants to bear hug you. You know those people in life who are just like really big. When you were a kid, they were just huge to you. And when they hug you, you just got lost. That's what it's like. Your positional truth. This is the reality. Whether you like it or not, you're in a bear hug with Jesus. Jesus is holding you tightly. As much as you feel like you're holding on to Jesus right now, he is holding on to you even more. And it's out of that space that your true self comes. So he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. So how? Let's look at just three steps here today. So if death and union is the story that is the gospel, that you died and now you are married, you're in union with Christ, like Hold that story in your mind. That's that's the reality. That's the positional truth. Let's reread just through Colossians again. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. So he's bringing all of what he said in his letter up to this moment in chapter 3. So if then, if all of this is true, this positional truth, that you are now married with Christ in union, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. First point today, if you're taking notes, attention. Attention is what you know. know This is a given, right? What you think, what you put your heart's desires on, you become. What you give worth ship to, you become what you fix your mind on. And your mind is the most powerful thing. It's the battle of attentions. And we are living more distracted than ever, right? Like we are living, we're constantly, I mean, it's really hard for you probably to focus on what I'm saying. You're in and out of what I'm saying. You're like, what did he just say? What's happening right now? Attention, right? Let's focus in. And So Paul brings it really practically first off and says, Your attention is needed. If all of this positional truth is true, what are you thinking about? What is captivating your mind right now? Not what you're about to eat or the plans you've got for this week. What is captivating you right now? Because the enemy is a liar and the father of lies. And so the battle is to believe the truth over the lies. This is where it starts. Thinking transforms the way you will live. And so Paul calls us in Romans to renew your thinking. That's how powerful it is. And so this little device is changing my thinking daily. Every tap, every swipe, every curation that I make, I affirm something inside of me and it's transforming my mind. My attention span is lessening and waning. And so I'm in a fight of what will I believe is true. Will I believe this story that God is going to redeem all things for his kingdom? Amen. Or am I going to believe the narrative that this world is getting worse? This place is getting darker, that there is no hope. What will I believe? There is an attention battle on for us. Let's carry on reading. And so after he gives the reasons, make sure you give up. Stop. All the, um, the way of self, the false self, stop the false self. He says, "Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and his practices and have put on the new self. The lies we tell. We have created a false self, a way to make it in this world. We learn from a young age what makes people happy, what makes people angry. We learn what looks really good. Because remember, our attention, whether you like it or not, is in the world. So to be successful is to have this object, to have this um, car, to have this house, to have this lifestyle. We have been told that success is this. And so we live lies to make sure that that reality is true all the time. We know it to be true. It's in the room. We know that we tell lies so that other people will like us because deep down the back of our heads, if they really knew that about me, if they really knew the way I thought, they wouldn't like me. And so there's this process of examination that we need to do. So Paul is saying, stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to others and begin an examination of yourself. We love the prayer, and I've prayed it loads of times God, show me your glory. God, I want to see you. I want to see miracles. I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen? Like that's a good prayer. But how many of you have actually prayed Psalm 139 that says, Search me, O God that I may know my heart, that you may find any wicked ways inside of me. In other words, Lord, show me me. How many of you have woken up on a Monday morning and said, God, show me me. That's not a a prayer that we pray enough, yet Psalms, over and over again, David's heart is, I want to know me because there is a blessing in it. I find you, God, in me. But also there is things in my life that need to be cut out and broken. Examination is popular to Paul. He says, examine yourself before going to the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians, examination of faith. Examine your faith. Test your faith. Find out what's underneath the surface. He says, test our ways, our works. Galatians 6 through 5. If anyone thinks they are something, they are not. They are deceived, but let each test or examine their work. So let's do a practical exercise. How can we do this? So let's come back to my story. What happened? What am I feeling? What story am I telling myself? What's the root identity? Can we do a little psychology here today? A little counseling session for us all here today? If we want examination, I encourage you to write down these four things on your phone. Any situation that comes, because you're not going to remember this whatsoever, if you don't apply what I've just told you today, you've wasted 45 minutes of your life. So it's up to you if you want to waste your 45 minutes, that's your choice. But if you want to take hold of this and make use of what I'm telling you, write down these four things. So when a scenario comes up where you want to examine yourself, what happened? What am I feeling? What story am I telling myself? What's the root identity? So let's go through my story. I upset Rachel, I upset Rachel because I challenged, uh, which came across critical and upset her, right? What do I feel? So always make sure you know the details of what happened in a moment. Make sure you really sit down and take heart what just happened in this moment. And so begin to ask yourself, well, what am I feeling? Feelings are extremely important. Don't diminish them. God has feelings, he gave you feelings. They don't need to rule you. But feelings are a great indicator of how you're doing. Don't diminish your feelings. And so I felt terrible. But I did feel frustrated as well. Why didn't she see the value of what I was telling her? I mean, if she could just do this, like, it would be so much better. The endless ploy of a, Like, have you seen that video of where the woman has a nail in her head and she's going, I've got such a headache, over and over again. And the man's like, but it's the nail. You don't understand me. You're always trying to fix me. And so the guy sees the practicalities and the woman just wants to share. And that's tough for me sometimes. I want to fix when I just need to listen sometimes. But it was frustrating. So I've got to ask the question, okay, Why was it? Why was it? What story do I tell myself to believe that that was frustrating? Well, the story that I tell is that being challenged helps us grow to succeed and benefit others. So being challenged actually helps us grow to succeed and benefit others. Okay, there's an interesting two phrases I use there. Why does success and others matter to me? Because I believe I'm loved by how I perform. Now, this was a good amount of time I spent on this. I wouldn't have come to that conclusion that quickly. But that phrase, success and others matters, as I wrote it down, stuck out to me. And that truth of the story that I actually believe is because I believe I'm loved by how I perform. Let's root this in my identity. Why? Because being me is not good enough. That's the false self within me. That's my false self coming through, that my root cause of why a good thing that God has given me that I can help people, coach people, I see people's stuff. The overextension is because I believe being me is not good enough and therefore I try and change everyone else around me. I try and constantly change myself. Let's give another example. Let's bring a a fake situation into the room. How about Susie? Any Susies in the room, sorry, or online watching? Or if you know Susie, this is not that Susie. Um, Friends and family says she has no flexibility. She's always stuck with her ideas and no one else's. Uh, She's been called a control freak. Um, She just believes others. And so, so that's what happened. So a situation came up where she was planning an event and she really wanted it done a particular way. And no one was on board. The family broke apart because they contr- called her a control freak and all that good stuff happened. So she slowed down and asked, what on earth happened in that situation? She feels tense. And she can't work out why. She feels fears filling her mind, those two emotions. And so she asks, well, what's the story I'm telling myself? The story is the unknown is scary. It's a story she tells herself. Anything unknown is really scary. Why has that happened? So I'll add another layer for us today. Growing up in her family, she moved a lot. Her plans constantly shifted all the time. They had no consistency as a family, and Susie really needed consistency. Susie had been in some relationships where the other people were super controlling. Susie was one of those super nice people that was really helpful, but she let a lot of people walk all over her. And so she was in some abusive relationships where people would just control her. Now she's grown up and she's found herself. She made a vow, I will never let anyone else control me again. So that's her story that she tells herself. The unknown is scary, control everything. And so her identity message is, I am not safe unless in control. So this is a framework that you can use to begin to look at a situation. Make sure you're taking your feelings. What is the story I'm telling? But what is the root identity I live in? That's what Paul means when he says, stop lying to one another. Put off the old humanity and put on the new humanity. He carries on. Being renewed. So put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Last stage, renewal. Living into the knowledge, the gnosko, the experiential knowledge of God. You can't strive To make your true self happen. That's the joy of this. Can I tell you today. That Christianity is not some self-help organization. No it's about being transformed. So the kingdom of God can be materialized. Manifested on earth. You can't strive. To make your true self come about. You can only change. What you fully trust into. That's the journey of moving from fear. Loneliness. Being someone who's just off on their own, and when you become through the salvation journey is into a community, into unity, letting go of those fears and putting your trust in Jesus. It's when you bring your broken self, not your performing self. So that's the thing. When we come into the presence of God, how many of you pray this prayer? God, I screwed up this week. um, Forgive me. Then you maybe say some thanks, and then you ask what you want. It's a very transactional type of prayer. That's not how Jesus teaches us to pray, right? He says, our Father who art in heaven, that you are to come knowing there is a good Father. In other words, come with your brokenness, come with your false self, come with your shadow side and say, God, this is me. Lord, I receive your love. Lord, I receive the bread that I need today. Lord, I receive that you're a good and faithful Father. God, you are good. See, that's the separation that we have in our lives, that we need to know that God's not looking for the perfect performance entering into his presence. He's saying, bring all of you into this space. Bring all of you into this space, because he passionately, unimaginably has depths of love for you that you have no idea. I think all of us in this room can relate to that we just don't understand how much God loves us. We can't fathom because we happily hit the uh, certain button when people come. Some people have a different terminology name for it, I won't mention it in church. But when you hit the button that you don't want to speak to them, basically. Like, we don't want to speak to you, and we so easily disregard other people and we think God is like that. When God is like, I am hungering and desire to be in relationship with you. And so for me, it's telling me that I am God's son who he is really pleased with. I am in Christ and nothing can change that. It's me understanding daily that there is a father who loves me, not for what I do, but for who I am. And I am learning that journey. I'm on a journey of daily having my attention fixated on that. That any kind of brokenness that says that I am not enough, I examine and I bring it into the light of renewal. I bring myself into that space. My needs for goals, comparison, the fears of others. Imagine if I didn't do this work. I'd be Johnny who would be goal-orientated, burnt out, maybe not even here in this world because I tried so hard and never met anyone's expectations. Maybe I'd be dead. Maybe I would have burnt through marriage. And I would have had all these problems because I never went beneath the surface to deal with the deep root that was inside of me because I didn't do the work of self, um, self-work. See, imagine I'm a, I'm a person who's gifted for connection. Imagine if I let myself reign. I would always be comparing myself with other people I could never be in relationship. God has given me a heart to build a network of pastors for this area. If I had just performance orientation, I would never want to be in relationship with any of them because I'd be striving for my kingdom to be bigger than their kingdom. These are the kind of things that happen when we don't do the deep work inside of us. I love that Paul finishes this verse, therefore, as God's chosen people. Again, identity. Paul is all about it. You are chosen. You are holy. Can you say that today? I am chosen. I am holy. I am dearly loved. So clothe yourself in that today. That, bring that attention. Because when you do, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Because of all these things, you clothe yourself. You're trying to forgive people when you don't even have the stuff clothed with today. You're trying to be an act of love to other people, yet you can't love yourself. Bear with each other and forgive one another in any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all of these virtues put on love just if anything else gets by just slap love on it please which binds them all together in perfect unity that wasn't that a good world to be in can you imagine a community like that that just clothed themselves as soon as you walked in every single day I'm chosen Man, I'm holy and I'm dearly loved. Maybe you just need to write that on your mirror when you look in the morning. You might look and be like, that doesn't really look very chosen or dearly loved right now, but we're going to say it. You know, sometimes we just need to confess in faith. But the beautiful thing is, and this this is why it's so important, just even as I was reflecting, God just gave me this. He just said, you know what? It's a cycle. If you get your attention if you focus on what's right, because how do you even examine something when you don't have anything to compare it with? A lot of you have your attention on wrong wrong things. Some of you just need to get in the circle today. You've got your attention on all sorts of wrong things. But don't be afraid when examination comes into play. Don't be afraid when the Holy Spirit begins to bring things to the surface and say, you know what? I love you so much, but I believe that there's a truer you inside of you. There's a Christ you that's bursting to come out. Would you examine? See, the problem with attention without examination, you just, you never change. There are a lot of Bible believers who just have their attention on God, but never let any transformation happen. And to be honest, they're probably the worst Christians. They know all the Bible, pray every day, but yet they don't even bother to examine their brokenness. They're still angry. They're still just mean, nasty people. And you don't like them because you're like, you're representing Jesus and you sound really good. But there's no transformation happening inside. But if we just get stuck at examination, we have religiosity. We have those people that point fingers. You're wrong. You're wrong. That's not good enough. And if we never take it to renewal, we never experience the Father's love. It's a, and, and the beautiful thing comes back around. Suddenly my attention, when I experienced the renewal of God... Attention comes back around, and we go around, and we go around, and we go around. It's attention, examination, renewal. So, today, let me just put some ministry music on, Tyler. There'll be a team just over to the side today. And so, just to reflect, let's just take a moment just to be still, just with every eye closed. Maybe you need to get in the process.